Welcome to Escape Routes with Condé Nast Traveller. My name is Melinda Stevens, the Editor-in-Chief of Condé Nast Traveller US and Condé Nast Traveller UK, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey, and at Condé Nast Traveller we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. With much of the world currently grounded, we've come together to take you to some of our favourite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who penned them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light, and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. Hello, my name is Jonathan Bastable. Welcome to Condé Nast Traveller's Escape Routes. I'll be reading my piece on Catania, which featured in the December 2017 issue of Condé Nast Traveller. I hope you enjoy it. Turn your gaze north at any point on Via Etnea, and you will be looking straight at the volcano that gives the long road its name. This, the main shopping street in the city of Catania, is trained on the nearby mountain like the barrel of a sniper's rifle. But it's not oriented that way for the sake of the view, much the reverse. Via Etnea was built broad and straight, so as to provide an easy evacuation route for the inhabitants of the city if the volcano blows its top. It's the emergency exit, not the front row of the stalls. Locals don't call their volcano Etna. To Catanians, it is Mongibello, a tautological combination of the Latin and the Arabic word for mountain. There are two fine spots in Catania from which to contemplate this sleeping tectonic dragon. In the morning, you might go to Bellini Park, the city's largest open space. Amid the peaceful greenery, there is a high plateau that provides a perfect vantage point. Etna is grey and ethereal at first light, like the ghost of a mountain. Shallow slopes to either side and a dent in the crown make it look like an enormous felt fedora. At this early hour, white vapour hangs around the summit, but it was impossible to tell if they are scraps of mist or twists of smoke. At dusk, for a better view still, I went to the rooftop bar of the stylish Una Hotel. The volcano was a more solid presence now, though it appeared to sail on a sea of terracotta rooftops. I watched for the time it took to down an aperitivo and found myself wishing that Etna would choose this moment to come alive. As if travelling to Sicily and not seeing the sky filled with a poisonous column of ash were like going to Lapland and missing out on the northern lights. Not that there aren't other sights to see in this city. Catania is an architectural riot, and that too is something it owes to Etna. In 1669, much of the town was destroyed by a lava flow, and 24 years later, in 1693, there was an earthquake that flattened the place entirely. 
Those two terrifying events in the course of one generation defined Catania's visual character. It inspired the wide, sluice-like streets, but it also meant that most of the new buildings were designed to be squat and solid, tremor-resistant. At the same time, the reconstruction coincided with the height of Baroque, so the decorations on the chunky palazzi are all limestone froth and frills and lacy white tracery. That contrast could be very odd and incongruous, like weightlifters in tutus. Catania pulls it off because many of the buildings are made with dark lava quarried from the volcano itself. This charcoal palette could make the city look as dull as a business suit, but to my eye, it is as chic as a little black dress. And when you do come across something properly bright and gaudy, such as the pink flowering oleander trees next to the Duomo, the effect is thrilling, like the moment in The Wizard of Oz when the movie switches from black and white to glorious technicolour. For a different kind of colour, cross the square to the Pescheria, the fish market. The people here love to eat, and this market is an everyday festival of seafood. The shouty hawkers constantly palm water from metal bowls onto their wares, keeping the fish fresh and glistening. Even at the height of a Sicilian heatwave, the market is as wet as a Manchester Monday and as cool as a Catholic church. At every stall there are generous displays of swordfish, chopped across the middle like pink logs. Silvery little white bait are laid out on slabs like jewellery on a baize. Vats of cockles rattle like pebbles on a beach when the fishmongers turn them with their hands. Callow young men in wellies patrol the aisles touting bouquets of parsley to the sceptical Sicilian housewives. On the fringes of the market, there are stalls selling preternaturally large vegetables, aubergines as taut and leathery as punch bags, red peppers that you could slice the top off and use as a duffel bag. Some of the sellers have gone to the trouble of pre-roasting their peppers, pepperoni al forno, and these ones are deflated and flat, like yesterday's party balloons, but no less appetising for that. There are two old but jumping restaurants next door to each other inside the market, La Paglia and Antico Marina. You will have to shout over the bellowing stallholders and the constant thwack thwack of cleavers, but the fish you order could not be fresher or the wine rougher. The restaurants in the market are liveliest at lunchtime. For dinner, I headed a couple of hundred yards up Etnea to the trattorias behind University Square. Osteria Antica Sicilia has a little courtyard laid back from the road. It's a fabulously romantico place to have a dinner in the residual heat of the day. Often, a bel canto singer drops by to do a few operatic arias and some crowd pleasers. On any given night, at least one moon will hit your eye like a big pizza pie. I was happy to listen while waiting for my excellent grilled espada and chips, which I had with a dinky half bottle of the house white, Bianco de Nera. It turned out to be frizzante, and once its cork was popped, it sat on the table like a mini Etna, releasing little gas bubbles into the atmosphere.
The gutsy food is one of the real draws of Catania. The region specialises in flavoured honeys and oils, and the volcanic soil makes for some great wines. And like every corner of Italy, Catania has its signature pasta sauce. It is called Alla Norma, and is based after the opera composed by Catania's most famous son, Vincenzo Bellini. Order a Norma, and what you'll get is a sauce of tomatoes and aubergines and ricotta. You'll find it on practically every menu. A more hardcore local delicacy is carne de cavolo, horse meat. It is served in the form of horse sausages, horse steaks and horse burgers. Some central restaurants do it, but most of the trade takes place on a single stretch of Via Plebiscito, where the trattorias set up barbecues on the street after the sun goes down. You will know you are in the right place by the signs reading Macelleria Equina, Horse Butcher, and by the galloping steeds painted on the restaurant frontages. You don't have to eat a horse in Catania, however hungry you may be. But you really should get close to the volcano. I took a guided tour in a 4x4. For an hour the car toiled up slopes covered with broad leafy chestnut trees, passing the lumpy remains of the crater that destroyed the city 300 years ago. It is now a wooded picnic spot. Above a thousand metres the villages peter out, giving way to exposed outcrops of fractured black rock. We stopped to inspect the roofless shell of a house destroyed in a 20th century eruption. Whitened tree trunks lay in the old ash like the bleached antlers of some extinct mega antelope. We stopped again in Refugio Sapienza where you can catch a cable car to a point close to the summit. I wandered up and down the ashen mountainside. You'd think it would be hot up a volcano, but a fiercely cold wind was blowing. People who had come up unawares from the baking streets of Catania stood shivering, their arms wrapped round their bare sun-brown shoulders. For some reason, the chill wind raised no black dust. It lay there undisturbed. I don't know how that can be. I watched as a cloud came rolling down the mountain like a damp and chilly pyroclastic flow, blocking out the sun. On the way back down the mountain, I visited the village of Zafirana. This is where the main lava flow came to a stop after a massive eruption in 1991. Underfoot, this young lava trail is brittle and aerated, like a fossilised crunchy bar. Its solidified tip is a threatening presence in the back garden of an outlying house. A person standing on the balcony could almost lean out and touch it. In the village, there's a shrine dedicated to the Madonna of Divine Providence, thanking her for saving Safarana in the nick of time. One hopes the owner of that house chipped in a bob or two. You would think that the brooding danger of eruption would make people wary of Etna, but no. She is a mother to us, said one Catanian to me. We miss Amontagna when we go away, and she is the first thing we look for when we come home. Upper Etna was majestically bleak, fascinating like the moon. But I was happy to come home to Catania's warm embrace. I still wanted to see one thing in particular, the amphitheatre where the Greek and Roman inhabitants of this sunny island got their entertainment. It is a huge semicircle, 
built into the slope of a hill. Later buildings have fused to it, like barnacles on the hull of some hoary old ship. The sunken stage, where performances once took place, is flooded with clear water. So this is an inner city lake, as well as an ancient monument, and it has its own localised ecosystem of frogs and birds and bats. It turns out that a stream has always run through here, making it possible for the Romans to use the arena to stage Busby Barclay-style water ballets, a spectacle that they were especially partial to. There is a small collection of finds next to the ruins, fragments of statuary, such as the broken foot of some god or hero, and numerous noseless heads. Somehow, Romans' carved noses never make it down the ages. A step away from the amphitheatre is Via Crociferi, a wholly intact parade of grand 18th century palazzi and churches. Like Etna, it seems to change with the time of day. In the morning, it is quiet and imposing, but at night it becomes a kind of open-air junior common room for the local students. They sit on the pavements, chatting and smoking and tweeting, oblivious to the stately architecture around them. The best place to eat on Crociferi is Locanda Cerami, a pizzeria where the outdoor tables are right on the steps of the Church of the Crucifixion. A marble saint looks down beneficently from on high as you tuck into a pizza so big you could screw legs on it and call it a coffee table. I was halfway through my Quattro Stagioni when along the entire length of Crociferi all the ornamental street lanterns came alight at once. It was a magical moment, and for a second, everyone looked up in wonder, as if they had suddenly realised what a lovely place they'd found themselves in. This podcast has been brought to you by The Thinking Traveller, which for the past five years has been voted favourite villa rental company in Condé Nast Traveller's Reader's Choice Awards. The Thinking Traveller has villas in Sicily, Puglia, Corsica, Greece's Ionian and Sporadis Islands, and from spring 2021 in Mallorca. Three fabulous villas lie on Sicily's east coast, just north of Catania. Rocca della Tre Contrade sits like an opulent castle on its own hilltop, commanding views of Etna and the sea. At Don Arcangelo all'Olmo, a little closer to the genteel town of Tarmina, every nook and corner is populated with books and art, and the gardens with their tall palms and broad lawns are like a separate set of green and shady rooms. Linera is a beautifully converted winery, and the villa has the coolness and sparkle of the white wines that Sicily does so well. You can find these and other properties at thethinkingtraveller.com or by calling 020-7377-8518. We hope you enjoyed our Escape Routes podcast. 
Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us in the charts and ensure you are the first to hear about new episodes.